Well, good evening, LCM. Tonight is Wednesday, April 7th, 2021. Can you believe it? We're in day 97. 97 of our first 100 days of this year. Man, has time flown by or what? Hey, last Sunday, we just had Easter Sunday. It was Resurrection Sunday. That's a better word. Resurrection Sunday was a day that we could not only commemorate the victorious nature of our risen Savior, but you know what it did? It gave us the chance to realign ourselves to the ancient path of truth, that the resurrection is first for Israel, and then it's for us. Amen. Resurrection Resurrection power is needed every day in our lives even as the Lord is calling us to new heights. In fact, he is calling us to ancient heights. The title of tonight's sermon is Ancient Heights. Come on, everybody turn with us to Psalm chapter 113. Psalm 113, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Somebody say ancient heights when you get there. Man, God is going to take us to some ancient heights. Psalm 113 verse 1 says this. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Man, if you really love the Lord, that should already start to move your soul right there. Let the name of the Lord be praised, both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Now, it used to be said of the British Empire that the sun never set on the British Empire. Used to say that. It's not true anymore. But I can assure you that the kingdom of heaven is far superior to the British kingdom ever was. That where the rise, from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, all over the name of the Lord is to be praised. Look at verse 4. The Lord is exalted over all the nations. Man, that that is an ancient height there. His glory is above the heavens. How do you get above the heavens? I don't know. Let's just watch and see what he does. Who is like the Lord our God? The one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the earth, on the heavens and the earth. That's how high that our Lord is. He is so exalted that he has to stoop down to see the starry realm. He has to bend over and look down to see the planetary uh, movement that's going on. Our God is enthroned on high and he is started on the heights. But what happened is he has enacted his plan on this earth through the Messiah. We see through the Christ. And then what did Christ do? He returned to the heights. Do you know what he's trying to do? He's trying to take us with him to those heights tonight. We have been working our way through ancient past, I think that this is the 12th sermon in our series of the ancient paths. In one way, it feels like it's been a while. In another way, it feels like we just started this concept yesterday because it's something that we are ever working on. And God is establishing you and me on his ancient path. That ancient path is going to take you to some ancient heights. And we're going to be able to see that tonight in a powerful way. Let's go to Acts chapter 1 and start... uh, to understand in a deeper way these ancient heights. Somebody say ancient heights when you get there. Hey, isn't that a praiseworthy point that we have a God who is able to come down to earth 
ascend back to his heavenly ancient heights and bring us with him there? Man, that's elevating my thinking right now. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and all in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Now, I want you to take notice of something that relates to Sunday's message. And at Sunday's message, we said, resurrection power is first for Israel. And then it's for us Gentiles. Well, the disciples knew that. So there's a cry that they have. There's a, a, a demand to know when is that resurrection power going to fill this entire nation? We see it displayed inside of you. But at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to resurrect us as a nation? Is it time to, for Israel to have their kingdom restored? The answer that Jesus gives them is like, yep, not yet. Not yet. It's the Father who determines all the timings of when that's going to come about. But the solution to your question, the question of when he's going to restore the kingdom back to Israel is, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Why? Because you got work to do. Yeah. What were they doing? They were staring intently up into the sky. They watched the resurrected Savior rise to the clouds up to the ancient heights of where his father was. And I'm sure they're all kind of standing there going, all right, now what? Now it's time to get to work. Yeah. Jesus departed and entrusted the remainder of work to do on earth to them. This is always the reason for supernatural empowerment. It's so that you may possess the ancient heights of the task that God has assigned to you. What do you do whenever your pastor drives off after a counseling meeting? It's time to get to work. Depend on supernatural power to go put into practice what they just told you. Come on, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 21. This idea that God empowers you so that you can possess the ancient heights. He gives you power to go out and work and do his will. Look at Deuteronomy 1 and, and verse 21. It says this. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Now before we go off into Sodeville. Before we go off into some other place besides what is actually written on the page. God is speaking to the nation of Israel. He is using Moses to do it. And he's saying, see, the Lord has given you the land. Israel has actually been assigned a very, very specific plot of ground. An actual place of the dirt on this earth. He goes on to say, go up and take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. This is a better verse than you might think. 
This is a verse that has been impacting me and my family this entire week. I can't seem to get away from it because I think the Lord is unlocking something for us. See, God has given land first to Israel. But as Gentiles, we can also realize that you have been given an assignment. Is that true? That this church has been given an assignment. Is that true? A land for us to take. You know, like Houston. Like he's given us this land. A land on a map that shows us where we're heading and the land, actually a place on this earth that we are assigned to go and work. See, the Lord has given you the land. See, God gives us things, but then we have to go out and work for it. That is, that is a, a something that in the kingdom you have to make sure that you stay attuned to. God has given you something. He's blessed you with it. He's assigned it to you. But you've got to go get it. You've got to go work the ground. You've got to go work in the area that God has given us. Man, that's a high calling. Somebody say, that's a high calling. That's a high calling. To have God assign you something. What next, what's next is the second sentence there. Go up. Everybody say, go up. You're going to have to go up. You're going to have to elevate. You're going to have to rise to the ancient heights that God has for you. Has anybody been feeling a, uh, a time of elevation in your life lately? Like, you know, the last 97 days-ish or so where God is calling you to go up higher? The word there for go up is an interesting word in the Hebrew. It's the word aliyah. You have to go up. You have to rise up. The interesting part about an aliyah to go up to where the Lord is. By the way, from anywhere in the world, you always go up to Jerusalem. The Bible is always saying, we went up to Jerusalem. When you look at Psalms, the last, uh, a whole entire section in the Psalms is given as songs of ascent. What does that mean? That means they were songs that people were singing as they were walking up to Jerusalem. See, you've got an aliyah up to where the Lord is. But by the way, the exact same letters... The Hebrew letters that are there for Aliyah are also exactly the same Hebrew letters for the word Ola. An Ola is a burnt offering. You have to go up, but the very same letters in Hebrew, I want you to get this, are what causes a sacrifice to be burned on the altar and that smoke that goes up, they actually call it to go up, is what the Hebrew word is for sacrifice. So let's piece these two things together. I'm sure it's not a random thing. I think the Lord was trying to teach a very important principle. If you're going to Aliyah, if you're going to go up, you know what it means? It means that you have to be constantly sacrificing before the Lord. It means that you have to have things in your life that are constantly being burned up before the Lord. If you're going to go up, you have to sacrifice so that your sacrifice goes up. Anybody finding that to be true where you are in your life right now? The things that were okay two months ago don't seem to be okay now. The kind of speech that you've had seems, the Lord seems to be constricting things on you. That's not him constricting you. That's him helping you to burn it on the altar so that you can go up. Man, I could get away with that before, but man, I, I got to get deeper. There's something about this. The Lord is, is, is making me sacrifice more. Amen. That's how you go up, church. You've got to do that if you're going to go up. Man, this is harder than I thought. Yep, let's let that rise up to the Lord. Let's offer that on the sacrifice here. When you go up, the next step in the verse is you've got to take possession. Now, I want you to understand this word in the Hebrew. When you take possession of something, 
It's not like it's just laying on a, on a table somewhere and got a free, take one. That's not, how ta- that's not what take possession means. In the Hebrew mind, take possession also means to dispossess from something else or someone else. If you were going to go up and take possession of what God has assigned to you, you are going to have to dispossess the ancient enemies that are there. You're going to have to fight for it. You're going to have to go to battle, maybe even a bloody battle. You're going to have to go to war if you're going to go up and take possession of what God has for you. You got to dispossess what those things that have been holding on to you, you got to dispossess it, and you're going to have to do that tonight. And look how it ends. Don't be afraid and do not be discouraged. Do you know what the predictable enemies of you going up and taking possession of something are? Fear and discouragement. Don't you just love the Word of God just laying it right out there as honest as it can? Anybody had any fear lately? Yeah, because if you don't raise your hand, I'm going to come over and raise your hand for you. Anybody been discouraged lately? Yeah. Do you know what? That is the predictable enemy of you actually going up and starting to take possession of something. Don't let that make you stop. Don't let that make you back down. That lets you know that you're going up to the ancient heights, that you've actually found the path and that you're working this correctly. Your enemies are going to be many. They just start you out with the first two, fear and discouragement. You might be battling with with pride or faithlessness. Don't forget that there's an arconic realm that's dealing and always looking to trip you up. And they're looking to take possession or falsely keep possession of what they think that they already have. But we're going to go up tonight. We're going to go up to some ancient heights and take possession. And that means we will dispossess whatever the enemy is. Fear, discouragement, or any archons that are there. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 36 and say ancient heights whenever you get there. We're going to start in verse 1. Don't you like the way that the word simply puts things? That in saying take possession, it means that you're going to have to actually take possession. It's not... I don't go to the store and take possession of a loaf of bread. It's sitting on a shelf. Now, there may be some other scenarios like during a hurricane where that will happen, but (laughs) fulfilling God's call on your life is not in the simplistic manner of getting a loaf of bread off of a shelf. It requires force to go and take possession. And you are dispossessing a well-entrenched ancient hostility. Ezekiel 36 verse 1. Son of man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel. We're prophesying to the mountains of Israel here. And say, mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. The enemy said of you. The you here meaning mountains of Israel. Aha! That's a great first word. The enemy said of you, aha, the ancient heights have become our possession. Now, full context, mountains of Israel, and we have ancient hostilities possessing the ancient heights. 
Meaning that the land that God assigned to Israel is so important that God is literally telling Ezekiel to prophesy to the mountains of Israel about what the enemies of Israel are wanting to do with the land of Israel. Why? The prophecy is telling of the enemy's desire to possess the ancient heights, these elevated locations in the land that God has ordained his will to take place on earth and provide salvation, redemption, and restoration for all of mankind and all of creation. This is the very spot where God chose for his name to dwell, elevated himself above all these other gods, these lower gods who were in rebellion and defection to him. These archonic forces, they are falsely occupying the land that rightfully belongs to God's people. Tell me that we can't see that in the natural realm right now. Why? Why, why is there to this day constant friction and war over the physical, tangible land of Israel? Particularly the ancient heights within the land of Israel. Why? Because the ancient hostilities want to occupy, defile, and derail the declarations of God showing himself superior through his chosen people. They want to contend with the image and therefore the people of God. If this is what happens with the nation of Israel, then it is to be expected for you. As it goes with Israel, so it goes with you. This Amen. is the occurrence of God's covenant with his people. So let me ask you this. Why is it when you go up, when you rise in your calling to possess a greater hold on your function, your mezuzah in Christ, that then all hell breaks loose against you? You want to experience some purifying refinement of your faith and trust in Yahweh God go do something for Jesus and all hell is going to break loose if you're lucky it might even cause your tire to come loose as you go up a overpass or bridge as you're returning from a, a trip to Mexico and telling your disciples about how great God is and how he's going to prepare you for ministry and then boop the front tire of your truck comes off how about that Somebody stole half the lugs while you're sitting at a Dairy Queen 30 minutes prior. True story. Arconic opposition to the people of God is what you should expect. Why? Because you are contending with the same celestial powers that want to dispossess your rightful claim to the ancient heights of God's call on your life. And it is our mandate from God to counter that by going and taking possession. Why is it that God hates the double-minded? Why is it God hates cowardice? Because it's retracting from the call to go and take possession. What are we going to do as a church? We're going to take possession of the ancient heights. We're going to take possession of the ancient heights of what God has called us to. Nothing is going to stop us from reaching the destination for what he's called us to do. Come on, somebody say amen to that. Amen. The idea that the adversity that you're fighting and that you're facing is something that is good and should bring joy to your heart is what we're saying. Why? Because it shows that you are actually on the right path. It shows that as you're trying to multiply ministry in your home, of course things are going to be difficult, but you're going up and you will take possession. Everyone turn with us to Psalm chapter 18. 
Psalm 18, and we're going to begin in verse 31. Pastor and I are going to read to you from the ESV. Psalm 18 in verse 31 says this, For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? Yeah. We're not talking about Dwayne Johnson. We're talking about the rock of rocks. The God who equipped me with strength and has made my way blameless. See, this psalm is beginning here, or it's, it's working in this section here to talk to you and remind you about the uniqueness of our God. Come on, can't we spend all day on that, just giving it, just working through our heart? Who is God but the Lord? Who is a rock except our God? Man, think of how many passages throughout the Tanakh, throughout the Brit Hadashah, that speak about the uniqueness of our God, that there's no one close to Him. There's no one who can compare to Him. Verse 32 teaches us, the God who equipped me with strength. The God who equips you with strength. Come on, that is like getting your battle array on. You are suiting up for the battle, and he's the one who helps you to do it. He's the one that has the standard issue of his armor that he will place upon you. He's the one who does this, and he does something else. Maybe if you're looking in the NIV right now, you see the last part of that verse says, He keeps my way secure. I just love the way that the ESV said it. He said, he made my way blameless. He made your way blameless and holy. He's put you on the right kind of path that leads you right up to the ancient heights. But he says some incredible things. Let's go on to verse 33. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. What pastor just read, the declaration of who God is, but particularly equipping me with strength and making my way blameless. What comes after that is a, a progression of armament. It's a progression of God equipping you for battle. Why does God equip me with strength and make my way blameless? Make my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights? Well, verse 34 continues with that war theme. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Not somebody else's arms, my arms. Not somebody else's hands, my hands. Everybody hold up your hands. Say, these hands. These hands. Are being, trained for war. are being trained for war. These arms, These arms will, bend a bow of bronze. will bend a bow of bronze. All right, keep them up for the entirety of the service. Never mind, you can put them down. You have given me the shield of your salvation, and your right hand supported me, and your gentleness made me great. Wow. Now, I'm going to tie in all of these warlike elements to that very last phrase. But I want us to get the grasp of how much God is invested in training us to war for the, for the ancient heights. It's important to him that we are equipped. Why are, do we spend so much time having training days on Fridays? Because we are invested just as much as God is in making sure that you are equipped for everything God has called you to do. Yeah. 
that your hands are being trained for war, that your arms can bend the bow of bronze or execute right judgment using his word correctly, that you walk in a confidence that has the shield of your salvation in front of you, extinguishing every fiery dart that the devil throws at you, and knowing that it is the right hand, the strong arm of God that supports you every single day. Amen. There's not a day that goes by that his right hand isn't going to war through you and for you. But particularly in this, gentleness made me great. Your gentleness. Well, NIV, again, it says help, which it's right. It's, it is help. But this word for gentleness, it means to have humility or meekness. That our God is a warrior. And he exercises his gentleness, his humility and meekness to those who are a part of his army. Meaning that he stoops down to make us great. That he takes his divine nature and lowers himself to impart it inside of us. There's not a thing that you lack to go to war. There's not a thing that you lack from God to be victorious just as much as he is. He is helping us to rightly battle from the high ground, to rightly battle from the ancient heights where his throne is seated. Let's look at verse 36. You gave a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. Come on now. The Lord can help you where your feet do not slip. Man, I can think of other Psalms that actually began, my foot had almost slipped. I had almost lost my way. I was considering what was going on in the world, and I almost lost my footing. Here, the Lord, in this battle preparation, he's, he's giving a wide place for the steps under you. Can I encourage you that where you are right now here at LCM, it is a wide place for your feet to land. It's like a hyperbaric chamber. You can get healed faster here. You can grow better here. It's like its own little greenhouse. It's got more oxygen. It's got an oxygen-rich environment. You can get better, stronger, faster here while you're here. I promise you that whatever think that you're miss you think that you're missing out on is just wrong thinking because God has put you here so your foot wouldn't slip. He's made a path underneath your feet. Look at verse 37. I pursued my enemies. And I overtook them. And I did not turn back until they were consumed. Let me encourage you. Like all moments of getting shalom in your life. Everybody say shalom. Shalom. To get shalom in your life, you got to go pursue your enemies. That's that idea of taking possession by dispossessing those that are there. It's not just sitting on a shelf. you got to go pursue your enemies. You've got to go and overtake them. You don't just run after them. Somebody steals something from you. Huh. Hey. Hey, it wasn't that important. Mm. Well, they drive away with your vehicle. That's one thing. If they drive away with a vehicle and you're, one of your children is in it. See, I'm going to pursue you. And I will overtake you. I don't care how far you go. I'm, go I'm coming after you. Why? Because the treasure that's there. See, that is the kind of attitude that this is giving us. I pursued. I overtake them. 
you got to dispossess where they are, no matter where that is. And you cannot turn back until the enemy is defeated. That, that deserved a better amen. But I'm glad that you're thinking about it. you got to pursue your enemies. That's one thing. you got to go and overtake them. That's another thing. But you got to keep going and never turn back until your enemies are defeated. See, that's where we might need the most amount of help in this church right now. Let me be your pastor here for just a minute. He's the really good one. I'm just trying to work on it. Let me, let me be one of your pastors here. This idea that you can go after it for a little while, but you've got to pursue, overtake, and never turn back until the battle's won. That relates to you as husbands. You can't start to fix something in your house and then turn back because you realize how stinking difficult it is. It relates to you as parents because you've got to get after it and you've got to overtake the, the, the rebellion that's in your own children. You've got to work through that. But you can't turn back. You can't get too tired. You can't decide that there's an easier way. you got to go after your calling and dispossess the enemies Amen. and never turn back until the enemies fall underneath your feet. This is a right word for us tonight. There are some of you who've decided that it's just too hard to really get involved in what we're talking about in marriage, in our marriage counseling. It's just easier. It's just easier to go a different way. But you've got to go after the enemies. You've got to work through this. Your spouse is not your enemy. But the, the lack of shalom in your home is the enemy. And you've got to fight and get it right. These are the type of footing that God is putting you on so your foot won't slip. Amen. That is what God is working on. Look at verse 38. I thrust them through. So that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. You run them through with the sword of the word of God. Yeah. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under my feet. They fell under your feet. They sink under you. What does that mean? That means you're in an elevated position. You're on an ancient height because your enemies fall underneath you. They're not just falling before you. They're not falling on you. They are literally falling beneath you because you've allowed yourself to go to the ancient heights. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 33. <laughs> Deuteronomy 33 verse 26. There is no one Again, I say there is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides across the heavens to help you and on the clouds in his majesty. Well, nobody's got a ride like he does. The eternal God is your refuge and underneath him are the everlasting arms. He will drive out your enemies before you saying, Destroy them. This verse begins as a declaration that there is no God like the God of Jeshurun. This name Jeshurun is an affectionate name for Israel. And what he is saying to his beloved Israel is, I am the one who battles from the ancient heights. I am the one who rides upon the clouds to come and deliver you and to destroy the enemies that oppose you. You know, the Canaanites worshipped 
Baal and the way that they viewed the God of Baal was one that rode upon the clouds. So when you see this being declared as the moniker of God, it means that he is superior to the Canaanite God of Baal. He is superior to all other gods that exist, to the ones that the nations fear, serve, and sacrifice to. God is in the business of making sure that everyone knows that he dominates. He's in the business of knowing that from his ancient heights, he reigns supreme. And the point being made in this passage is that he will drive out enemies. But what is he saying? He says he will drive out your enemies before you saying, destroy them. What does God want to do? Is that from his ancient heights, join you in his battle and use you as the war club. Use you as the mechanism to go and destroy the enemies that sit in opposition to him. See, it's not hard for you to believe that God can do these things. It's not, it's not hard for you to see how God can judge the gods of Egypt. Oh, you're a frog god? Fine, I'll, I'll fill the whole land with frogs. What a lame god, by the way your mascot you're a frog god well congratulations oh you you're a god of gnats that's even worse i'll fill the whole land with gnats see it's not hard for us to go oh you're a, a storm god you like to bring storms fine i will use the weather and defeat you with what you think your god is good at it's an entirely different thing for him to drive out the enemies before you and look at you josiah and say you go destroy that enemy you, Paul, you go destroy that enemy. You take this and you go forth, Tisdale, because I'm going to empower you to do it. You are my war club. You are the instrument that I want to use. Look at verse 28. You see this exactly in context. So Israel will live in safety. Jacob will dwell secure in a land of grain and new wine where the heavens drop dew. Man, what a beautiful thing for Israel. Look at verse 29. Blessed are you, Israel. Who is like you? Now, we've been using that phrase to be the who is like you when we're talking about the Lord. Don't lose it here in verse 29. Blessed are you, Israel. Who is like you? The you here is the nation of Israel because it goes on. A people saved by the Lord. Yes. It can't be God that they're speaking of here. Who is like you? The one who's been saved by the Lord. He is your shield. He is your helper and your glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you. And you will tread on their heights. Do you see the same God? What he was doing before, he expects us to do. Because that shows his actual omnipotence. His actual power. His actual majesty. Is when he can take people like me. And he can take people like you. And he can say, of course, I can do it. But I'm going to empower you to be the one that goes and destroys the enemies. You will tread on the enemy. On their heights. They think it belongs to them. But I'm going to use you to dispossess them. God is promising that what the archonic forces are trying to achieve, God's people, you and I, first starting with Israel, but then as we're included, God's people will be the ones that get to achieve it. It's one thing to believe that God treads on the heights of the earth 
Amos 4, Micah 1, and so many other verses tell us exactly that. But he is doing it, and he wants you to do it as well, to put down the enemies on the ancient heights. He's actually inviting you up to the heights so that you can make war against his enemies. Now, we are 35 minutes in, and we said all that to get to this point. You needed just to have that as the groundwork for what we're about to tell you. Don't you want to know how to tread on the heights? Yes. It's one thing for us to say, you need to do this. And everybody's like, yes. We could have taken three minutes and done that part. But you need to understand that because God does it, he's going to empower you to do it. But you need to know how to make this work. We're going to give you some incredibly practical steps here to know how to tread on the heights. How to be used by God to be a vessel of God, to be a warrior for God, and to go out and conquer the enemies on the heights. Let's all turn to Isaiah 58 to see exactly what the Lord has for us. That was quick. Everybody say, this word's for me tonight. Now, I appreciate the way that the Lord lays down a foundation of understanding. We get the full context. Sometimes if we hear a very clear, direct point too quick, we're dismissive of its application, and particularly its application for us. Isaiah 58 is a chapter that is centered around fasting. He's addressing the heart and attitude of his people Basically saying, why haven't you responded to us, God? We've done everything right. And you're not answering. And God begins to address their issues. That fasting is for pouring out your life for others. It's breaking the bonds of injustice. Setting captives free. It's God's heart. It's even about rebuilding ancient ruins. It's for others and their liberation. But he gives them some very clear steps, and he's giving us very clear steps, of how to tread upon the heights, the ancient heights. Verse 13, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please, or speaking idle words. Then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride and triumph on the heights. Ride and triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, the truest context of Isaiah 58 is that this is spoken first to Israel. His people were immensely familiar with his laws and commands. And it's also spoken to us as well. Now, in verse 13, you're getting to a key of how to find joy. Everybody say joy. Joy. And how to ride and triumph on the heights. Say triumph. Triumph. Joy and triumph is what we're learning how to get. You got to be able to view God's Sabbath. If you could put verse 13 on the screen, you could just leave it there for a while so we can see exactly what the Word of God says. To be able to call the Sabbath a delight, to be able to understand what God's provision, this is clearly to the nation of Israel. 
We're not going to skip over the fact that he is writing it to a specific people in a specific land. And he's talking to them about a specific topic, the Sabbath. See, because we can also apply it to us and understand that we've got to be able to call God's commands a delight. It doesn't take it away from who he wrote it to first. Israel is who he's being, being addressed. If you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's day, you hold it as holy and honorable. Here's how to honor what God is doing. Is God doing anything in your life that's worthy of honor? That's worthy of you honoring what he's calling you to, of what he's multiplying in you, of what he's strengthening in you. Then this is how you must begin. It says the very first thing, if you honor it by not going your own way. Let's not part, start to make this about someone who is a non-believer. Right now, you're not yet thinking of the, of the family member that's far from the Lord. You're not thinking about the coworker that's really far from the Lord. You're actually going to start and you're going to look at yourself and you're going to talk and think about not going your own way. I'm talking to you, believer. I'm talking to you just like God was speaking to his own people, the nation of Israel. This is not for someone else. This is for you tonight. Look at your neighbor and say, this is for me. Not going your own way reminds me of Proverbs 21 and verse 2. It says this, a person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. The Hebrew here says that a person may think that kol direct that all of their ways are right before the Lord. All of them. You know what? Man, I'm a good person. I, I got this. I mean, I'm, I'm praying. I'm here on, you know, 19 days a week like you guys are, are requiring of me. I'm, I'm good. When it says that all of their ways are right, the word for right can mean straight. It can mean right. Or the literal definition can be this. Listen to me. It can be right in an ethical or emotional sense as agreeable or pleasing. I am determining what I want to do. I'm determining that my way is pleasing, is right in an ethical kind of sense, in an emotional kind of sense for me. I'm determining what's right. But this verse in Proverbs says that the Lord weighs the heart. This is talking about setting your own direction, going your own way. Even while you're here with us, even while you're here amongst us, still going your own way. Have I told you yet that this is about us? Mm -hmm. That this is about you? James 3 and verse 14 through 16, I want to read this to you and I'm going to share with you from my heart about this. James 3, 14 says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, remember, I'm talking to us in this room. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, do you guys see wisdom in quotes even on your screen? Do you understand that this is not wisdom? It's saying what people think it is. This is just wisdom, pastor. You don't understand. I'm not really choosing my own way. Let me tell you all the reasons that what I'm doing is just wise. It's just appropriate. It's just right for me to do so. As a matter of fact, all my ways are this way. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, 
unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. Let's go back to verse 14 for a second. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition, you know, you can use the word harbor and it be a noun. It be a cove that's cut out where a ship can come in and have safety from what's going on around it. Maybe man-made piers, maybe something to help keep the water level down, something to protect what has come into that harbor. The problem is when you're harboring bitter envy and selfish ambition. If you take the word harbor to be a verb, like you harboring bitter envy, it's not just a cove. It's not just that you've cut out a place for it to kind of protect it from other, the other onslaught that are around. It's not just that you've given it a home. The word harbor, when it's a verb, is always talking about secretive abilities. Listen to what a dictionary would say. Secretive ways to entertain or possess what you are harboring. Either way, to harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition, where does it say? Does it say in your speech? It says in your heart to harbor these things. Hey, look up at me. This will not be the time I'm going to just tell you now. It's not the time for anybody to go to the bathroom. I'm your pastor and I love you. Your kids will be fine in the back. We've got capable people. See, what, what you need to understand is this is what this is causing a crippling effect in people in this room. And you're calling it wisdom. Some are rebelling against what's going on in this house, and they're calling it wisdom. Some are rebelling against their own husbands, and they're calling it wisdom. In quotes. It's because you're harboring something that's in there that you've been harboring in your heart. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven. It is not God giving you this. It is unspiritual. It is earthly. It is demonic. Pastor, that seems kind of harsh. It's not. It is just the plain scripture as it is written. What does it mean to have a demonic wisdom that's working on the inside of you as you're harboring bitter envy, selfish ambition, bitter envy? Man, why did pastors pick those guys to lead a home group and not me? Why do those people seem to get advanced more than me? Why am I only doing this, but they get to do this? Why? Why? What's going on? What are you harboring today? Because it might be a demonic influence that you've harbored something wrong in your heart about bitter envy and selfish ambition that you're calling some type of wisdom. Let me say it a different way. To harbor these things allows for ravenous beasts to be on the inside of you, creating havoc, stealing from what you've already been given. Pastor, you seem very serious. It's because this, the topic is serious. Are you talking about me? Of course I'm talking about you. To have bitter envy and selfish ambition, it first devours what the Lord has done inside of you. It means that nothing is ever good enough. 
that nothing is ever enough for what the Lord has done. You always need something else because you think that the something else will make you happy, but it's because you've got demonic wisdom working on the inside of you. It first works to devour things in you, and then because of the insatiable nature of earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom, you know what it does? Is it has to turn and get the people around you. It's not satisfied to just eat up what you have. It wants to begin to work on your neighbor. Bitter envy and selfish ambition that starts to turn you around. Look at what the end of the verse says. Envy and selfish ambition, uh, I'm sorry, verse 16, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder, what it is doing inside of you, and every evil practice, what you're trying to do to other people. Church, this is for us tonight. You cannot harbor, you cannot harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition. The problem is, is we don't often know when we are. Man, that's a good word, Pastor. That guy over there, I met a guy today at the store. He needed to hear that. Hey, Pastor, you know that person over there? They need to hear that. No, I know that God wants us to hear that tonight. If you can look at someone else in this room and there's just a, a, just a what you feel like is a small prick of envy, a small amount of it, I can assure you that there's something demonic going on and you're harboring it and it's got to stop. It's got to stop where we have a selfish ambition that we're always wanting more. We're always needing more. It's never enough for us. We just need one more affirmation. We need one more good thing to happen. These are demonic, ravenous beasts that are tearing you apart from the inside. And God is going to help us tonight to go up to new heights and get freed from these things. Everybody say thank you, Pastor. God's word liberates us from going our own way. It addresses it. It is addressing it so they can put it to death. But that's not the only thing that it's addressing. What we read from our passage in Isaiah 58 is not going your own way and not doing as you please. Well, if you're like us in the moment, as we were studying earlier, we said, what's the difference between going your own way and doing as you please? Well, What's clear in the James scripture that pastor uses, going your own way is seeking your own direction. It's what you desire in your heart that's leading you, not the direction that God has given you from his ancient heights. It's a self-directed direction. And then you embark on it. You set out. Well, the second, not doing as you please is about seeking your own pleasure or being driven along by your own desires. So since you're in James, go to James chapter 4. Realize that this letter written by James was not divided into chapters and verses when he wrote it. It's one continuous thought. So James chapter 4 verse 1, he says, What causes fights? And quarrels among you. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. 
so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So one of the keys that's listed in Isaiah 58 is of reaching and treading on the ancient heights. Is not doing as you please. Not having a heart that is corrupted by your own evil desires. But there's an innocence of thought though. The innocence of thought looks something like this. What about what I want? That deceptive, wicked thought. And even if it's just on the inside, what about what I want? I never get what I want. I always sacrifice for everybody else first. You know what that results in? Exactly what it says here in James 4 too. So you kill. There's a vicious visceral reaction to not getting what you want. It may look like killing a friendship, killing the very promises of God, maybe even killing a covenant, a marriage covenant. It happens quick when you give in to these things. See, these things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic they're enemies wanting to dispossess your possession of them. Well, if that's not your thought, it may look like, well, why can't I have what they have? And what begins to happen internally, once again, not even something spoken out loud, is you want to quarrel over technicalities and details. I don't know why they put their charcuterie board right there. I would have put it over there. Even going to the extent of picking, picking a fight to prove yourself. Just instigating a confrontation to make them kind of get in the flesh and look how godly you were. You deserve to have what they have. This is earthly, unspiritual, and, and, and demonic. He goes on to say, you don't have because you don't ask God. You do as you please and you want the Lord to bless it. You didn't even consult God about what you desired. You went headlong into your own plan. But here's the point. When you finally recognize, oh, wait a minute. Uh, everything that I've been doing to pursue this has not worked out. Oh, yeah, I got to pray. So I'm going to ask God. You don't receive it. It's because your motive is out of shalom. And it is full of a tainted element of insatiability. But this will make me happy. I, I'm, look, lad, I'm, okay, I'm repenting. I'm praying through the tabernacle now. I just jumped right over the bronze altar and I'm running right to the golden altar and I'm putting my request before you. Lord, uh, what? I have wrong motives? But it will make me happy. It'll make me content. I'll finally quit being anxious and in constant quarrel and turmoil. No, not at all. See, Luke 8, 14 actually has some really good insight into this. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. And they do not 
mature. So giving into this is the certain way of stunting your growth in the kingdom. Going your own way always leads to your maturity in Christ being choked by doing what you please. So what God is helping us is knowing how to identify these things so that we can dispossess its stronghold in our own hearts. And so that we can be that good soil that produces 30, 60, and 100 fold. Do not go your own way. Do not do as you please. And the very third thing that it speaks about in Isaiah 58 is do not speak idle words. Wow, that should really remind us of Monday night in Jeremiah 15, shouldn't it? Jeremiah 15, 19 says this. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. If you repent. Man, I'm so glad that our discipleship training last week was on repentance and baptism. So that you know that repentance is not just you saying you're sorry, but it's actually changing the direction, the course of your life. You stop the sinful ways and you begin to engage with righteousness. If you repent, I will restore you that you may serve me. This is the Lord speaking to yeah. Jeremiah. If you utter worthy, not worthless words. Does anybody in the house want to have some worthy words to utter? Yes. You will be my spokesman. Let this people turn to you, but you must not turn to them. Church, we're going to have to just repent about the things. If you have come into this place and you've been going your own way, how can you tell if you've been going your own way? Because you look back and you realize that the fruit hasn't been there, that the joy hasn't been there, that the prosperity that God intends for you to have, that the strength, that his favor upon you hasn't been there because you keep going your own way. There's demonic wisdom that's at work. If you found tonight that you're doing as you please, you've put your emotions and what you want at the center of it all, or if you've been speaking idle words, that's an interesting thing to say because idle words, the kind that are worthless, as in I-D-L-E, or idolatrous words. See, the time for repentance is now. So that God can restore you. The whole plan, the whole point is that you can learn to extract the precious from the worthless. The whole point is so that you might lead out the esteemed from the worthy. The whole point is that you would have a worthy life, a worthy heart that produces worthy words fit for the king of all kings. That's going to take us to have to go up to the ancient heights and find out what God has for us. Let's look at verse 14 of Isaiah 58 again. Then you will find your joy in the Lord. Yeah. No matter how difficult your days get, if you see the joy of the Lord at work, you know that you're on the right path. You will find your joy in the Lord. And God will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights. Have you been discouraged about some of the things that are going on and you can't seem to find the victory? Well, we just gave it to you. You're going to have to evaluate your own heart to see if you've been going yeah. your own way, if yeah. you've been doing as you please, or if you've been allowing the fruit of your heart to come out in idle words right out of your mouth. God is giving us a solution yes. here. We've had some fear and discouragement upon us as we're trying to go up to new heights. Anybody been corrected lately? <laughs> yeah, I'm leaving my hand up, not just as a solicitation for you, but the Lord has been correcting me lately. Yes. 
It stings when he corrects me. But I love it because that means that he's my father and I'm his Amen. son. I don't lose heart and want to go away. I step forward and go, yes, yes, he loves me. This is exactly what I need. We can find the joy of the Lord and he can cause you to ride in triumph on the heights because that's what he's got for us tonight. Amen. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Hey, turn to the book of Habakkuk chapter three. Say joy whenever you get there. Habakkuk 3, we're going to pick up in verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Hallelujah. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. Hello, Psalm 18. He enables me to tread on the heights. Who is Habakkuk? Habakkuk is a contemporary of Jeremiah. And he is watching, watching the decimation of his nation under captivity. And he is longing and waiting for the calamity and the justice of God to fall upon their adversaries. And even though all of these things are not occurring, there's no fruitfulness. There's no obvious reason to be joyful. He said, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. What type of attitude do you need right here and right now? It's one that repents from and then to the place of joy. Repenting from your fleshly, carnal, demonic heart and attitude into a place that says, yet I will rejoice in my God. When you have this attitude, you are able to stand in the same level of abject warfare as Habakkuk did. And have the oil and joy of God flowing through you. Come on, look at what he says in 19. The sovereign Lord is my strength. A sovereign Lord with sovereign power. He can do what he wants, when he wants, and he is on my team because I'm with him. Lifting up your heads to the ancient heights of where God's thrown in is, is your cure to your depression. It is the cure to your despair. It is the cure for warfare that surrounds you at all times. We will elevate our hearts and our minds tonight. We will get to a point where we are overflowing with joy in this house, not counting the circumstances that are around us, but speaking to those circumstances of how great our God is. Come on, let's let the joy of the Lord actually be the measure for us tonight. How perfect does your life have to be before you can give him glory? Habakkuk teaches you that there can be nothing going on correctly. That it looks like you're losing in every way, but the joy of God is upon you. I will rejoice in the Lord. This is not the power of positive thinking. This is the power of a joyful heart trusting in the Lord at all times. This is something that moves us. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2 very quickly as we get ready to close. Ephesians 2 and verse 3. I'm going to begin reading now. All of us also lived among them at one time, 
gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. See, we've all had moments like this where we were not doing it correctly. That was when we were not sanctified by the Lord. And the truth is, is it's been since you've been sanctified by the Lord. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath in those states. But because of His great love for us. Do you understand what the Lord is doing tonight? Is He's calling to you from the ancient heights. And He's saying, I want you to come up closer. But if you're going to ascend to where I am. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? And who may enter into his holy sanctuary? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart, who have not lifted their souls to an idol or sworn by what is false, Psalm 24 says. If you're going to do this, it's because of God's great love calling to you. Rich in mercy, verse 5. And he's made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. But that means that you have to go to war. Not like the world does. You don't go to war and wage war like the world does. You do it because you have spiritual battle. You have spiritual armor. You have spiritual weapons. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty to be able to pull down the strongholds. That's why you have to demolish the arguments. The unspiritual, earthly, demonic wisdom. That's why you have to demolish the pretensions. You know what the word for, the word for pretension there can also be translated as? Heights. You have to demolish every argument and every thought that you have that is trying to climb to the heights in your own life. Yes. Verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ. And he seated us with him in the heavenly realms. In Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness into us in Christ Jesus. It is a kindness that he might come and correct us tonight. It is a kindness that he might come and say there's something going on in their hearts. We need to work on this because I want to bring them up higher. I want to bring them up higher. LCM, God wants to bring you up higher. That means that we have to evaluate our hearts more, not less. It means that you're going to have to learn how to fight more and not less. And his kindness to us is saying, I've already seated you in the heavenly realms. Now guess what? You're going to have to fight for it just like everything else. I've seated you. I've given you access. But you have to fight to not have anything exalted above what I am saying and what I am doing inside of you. This is what God's plan for us tonight is. Everyone turn to Isaiah chapter 58 and say ancient heights when you get there. As you're turning there, there is a perspective of what God is calling us to. And that's to be a radiant and beautiful bride. One that he wants to show off. One that is the wife of the lamb, like Revelation 21 says. One that you can be carried up in the spirit to a mountain that's great and high 
and seen as the holy city, Jerusalem, the place where he wants his name to dwell. What God is forming in this church is a pure, radiant, spotless, and blameless bride. No matter what accusation is hurled at us, we stand blameless before God. Fiery darts are extinguished. Ancient hostilities are silenced. And we dispossess what we should rightfully possess. Isaiah 58, 13. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Church, stand with us tonight. We're going to take a few minutes to actually respond to what the Lord is doing in this place. You should be able to measure how well you're accomplishing verse 13 in Isaiah 58 by how much of what you see in verse 14 that's taking place in your life. Joy in the Lord, causing you to ride in triumph on the heights and to be able to feast on what God has provided because the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Put verse 13 up for us. The call tonight is simple and the altar is open in a very direct kind of manner. If you're going to honor the Lord, it is going to begin by you not going your own way. Whatever wisdom that you may think you have, whatever that it is that you think that you may possess, you cannot be going your own way. I think that there are men and women in this room that are going your own way all the while you think you're going exactly in the way that we're saying. You need to check and examine your heart tonight. This is not a game. This is a, Lord, you gave my pastors this word, and it must start with me right now. You cannot be going your own way. You cannot be doing as you please. And you cannot be speaking idle words. This is the word of the Lord for us tonight. So that you can go up on the heights and tread the enemies that God has. We're going to begin to pray. Examine your heart. This altar will be open because you need to get this right so that you can find the joy of the Lord. So that you can find the ability to rise to the heights. Mighty God, right now. Lord, move upon your sons and your daughters in this room. Lord, we cannot be going our own way. We cannot be doing as we please. We cannot be speaking idle words. These are signs of people who are not 
going to be able to climb to the heights that you are calling us to. Lord, but I know by your spirit that you are working because you are a good father and you want to help us to win tonight. You're going to help us to put away earthly, unspiritual, even demonic forms of wisdom that causes us to be okay going in our own paths, Lord. Lord, you are giving us as a church the ancient path and we will walk in it. Lord, we are standing at this crossroad tonight and we're saying, show us this way. Show us our heart. Lord, get rid of these things from us. Lord, I pray right now that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened, that there not be a man or a woman who stands in this room blinded by their own forms of wisdom. Release us from what we are thinking, these ravenous beasts that are inside of us, Lord. Open our eyes that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Lord, and that your joy and your power would infill your people tonight. In Jesus' name.